Well, as we continue our journey through the Gospel of Luke, I want to begin today by just asking you, do you did you have one of those friends or roommates, maybe a family member, maybe a spouse right now, a person who could sleep through anything, right? Like, like a tornado comes and is ripping the roof off the house and that person's still asleep, that person, or, or maybe, maybe you'll recognize in this guy right here. Maybe you had a friend like that. I don't know. I can remember a, kind of, a guy kind of like that in my life. So when I was in high school, addiction wove its way through my family's story. And one of our family members was in a drug rehab center, inpatient, very intensive thing. Uh, we were lucky that it wasn't too far from our house. Actually, people would travel from out of state to go to this one. And Sometimes when there were older kids in the program, older phases of the program, they, if they were from out of state, they might stay in our home for stretches of time. I can remember one guy named Todd. I think that was his name. Uh, he had a, a difficulty waking up in the morning. So he took an alarm clock and he jury-rigged it to a factory horn. Oh my goodness, like the first time that thing went off in my house, I was asleep. I had bunk beds, don't know why, it was my room, right? But uh, I'm in the lower bunk, I sat straight up, smacked my head on the top bunk. I'm disoriented, everybody in the house is waking up. The neighbors are coming out of their house thinking, is it Armageddon? Like what is going on? It's crazy. Todd was still asleep. I, I, I don't know why. It was still, it's crazy. Sometimes people are just wired that way. Uh, sometimes it's just when you're dead dog tired. Like if you've ever had that time when you have worked so hard and you are so exhausted, nothing could wake you up. And I think that's what we're about to see in Jesus in this story this morning. So let's pick it up in Luke chapter 8, verse 22. So one day he got into a boat with his disciples And he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased And there was a calm. He said to them, where is your faith? And they were afraid and they marveled, saying to one another, who then is this that he commands even winds and water and they obey him? Well, this this passage starts out, you see the first words there are one day. That's a signal from our author Luke who is saying, look, I just gave you guys a string of stories that kind of went together. Now, chapter break in a sense, now I'm going to give you another string of stories that go together, okay? So, so one day, and it's just an indication, this one day Jesus wanted to cross the lake. Now, fortunately for Jesus, he had in his posse some experienced fishermen. They were sailors, they, they had a boat, they know how to handle that. But unfortunately, they're setting out on the Sea of Galilee. Now, this is a very large lake uh 
lake is an understatement. But the other thing about the Sea of Galilee, it sits 700 feet below sea level. It's really way down there, and it's surrounded by cliffs and hills. And what can happen is a storm system can come across the land and then just kind of crash right down into that basin. And the warm air meets cold air, and it explodes in a sudden, very dangerous squall, and you're caught in the soup. It, did you see the movie Perfect Storm? Maybe that, just that kind of feeling like, oh my goodness, there's no way we are going to get through this. And that's how the disciples feel. They are freaking out. After all, there's some experienced fishermen. They know this. They know they're, they're probably done. There's no way. They're bailing water like crazy, freaking out. And there's Jesus sleeping. Now, understand, this is an open boat, okay? Like, it's not that he's in a cabin down below anywhere, right? I mean, there's lightning and thunder and wind whipping and disciples shouting, give me a bucket, and, and, and the water is filling the boat, and Jesus is napping. <laughs> he's just asleep in the midst of that, right? Why? Well, I already hinted at it a little bit. I think he's just dead tired. As we've gone through Luke, we've noticed that, like, crowds mobbed him no matter where he went. He never got a break, never got a rest unless he gets into a boat and goes out in a lake. He's like, this is nap time. And he's tired. But actually, Jesus points us in a little bit of a different direction when he says, where is your faith? Jesus is saying this is about his faith. Jesus has perfect faith in God the Father, perfect trust in his God. And so therefore, he's saying, you know what? I could live through this storm I could die here today. Doesn't matter. God's in control. Perfect faith, perfect trust, perfect calm, not freaking out. He's napping. It's about his faith. Now, the other disciples, they, they, they wake him up, presumably because it's all hands on deck. Here's a bucket, Jesus. Start bailing. Listen, God in the flesh doesn't bail water. He tells the storm to shut up. Right? So he gets up, and that's what he does. And he calms, he rebukes. It says he rebukes the wind and the waves. Now this is interesting. It says that the, the wind and the waves obey him. What's it mean to obey? It means that you've heard a command, that you've considered it, and then you've willed to act in accord with the command. You know, wind and waves, they don't have ears to hear. They don't have a mind to consider a command. They don't have a heart to will to act in accordance. And yet, it says they obeyed their Lord. Jesus is the Lord of the chaos, the Lord over the wind and the waves. And we've already seen throughout Luke that Jesus is, has authority over the law. He has authority to forgive sins. He has authority over death and over disease. And now we realize, oh my goodness, He's got authority over all of nature. It all obeys him. That's wild. And so here he is. He's, he's rebuking the wind and the waves. And then what he does next is he turns and he rebukes the disciples. With this question, he says, where is your faith? Where is your faith? And that's a huge question to latch on to. Because the question for us right now is, look, do you trust in the absence of storms from your life? Or do you trust in the presence of God in your boat in the midst of the storms? Where's your faith? Do you trust in the absence of storms or do you trust in God in your life in the midst of the storms? 
And realize sometimes God will lead you into the storms quite intentionally so that you can learn more about who he is and so that you can trust him and have faith in him. Where is your faith? Well, that's Jesus' question. The disciples respond with a question. They say, who then is this? Which is basically, who the heck is this? What in the world? This is crazy. And listen, who then is this? I want you to know this is the question right here. Make it your life's mission. This is your question. Answer with Jesus, who is this guy? This is Luke's mission. As he's writing this out for us, he wants us to wrestle with who then is this guy, this Jesus? Who is this? And if you were to walk around with Jesus, if Jesus were to be in your boat, you would eventually come to a point where you would say, what the, who is this guy? Listen, let's say you have a boat and you decide to take your pastor out fishing. We go out and we get crushed by a sudden storm we didn't see coming and and you're scared. You're like, I think we're going to die here. And I say, don't worry, I got this. So I step up into the bow of the boat stretch out my arms, and I calm the storm. Now, in that moment, you would probably have, you would have a moment there where you would go, wait a minute, I knew he was a pastor, freaking great pastor, granted. <laughs> no, you wouldn't say that. But, but, but in that moment, what you would say is, you know, he's not just a pastor, is he? Who then is this? Here's the deal. I don't have that kind of game. I don't have that action, right? But Jesus does. And so in that moment, if you got, you got to understand, the disciples are going, okay, we thought he was our rabbi. Who then is this? There's something more to Jesus. You have a growing understanding of Jesus in that moment. You see, there is a progressive revelation going on here. They're getting picture by picture a better view of Jesus. And that's some of what's happening to us. Maybe you've let Jesus into the boat of your life. Maybe you realize you needed a savior. You're desperate. Jesus, I need you, please. But now, day after day, year after year, you're getting a better picture of who then is this that I let into my boat. You're finding out exactly who he is. And this, this story we've looked at is a great snapshot of who Jesus is. It shows us that he is fully human and fully God. Fully man, fully divine at the same time. He is so dead tired, he falls asleep in a boat. He is frail, he is weak, he is tired, he's human. And yet at the same time, he can wake up and tell the storm to shut up and just calm a storm. He is God in the flesh. Like the Jews would know this. Psalm 89, verses 8 and 9 say this. O Lord God of hosts, who is mighty as you are, O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you. You rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. Now, if you're looking up at that going, why is that in all caps? Like, is it that the psalmist was shouting at you in those? Like, Lord! No, he's not shouting at you. That is a way of representing the Hebrew tetragrammaton. I mean, four letters that represent the proper name of God. We would say Yahweh. That's representing the the one true, the only God, the all-powerful God. It is he who stills the waves when they rise. And Jesus just did that. He is fully, 
fully God. See, so you have to decide who then is this Jesus. And, I mean, obviously he's human, but evidently he's fully God. And you know what? When he takes you into the storms, then that is a great opportunity to get to know him more. Who then is this? And then to display faith and trust in him. Where is your faith? Because here's the thing. You've got God in your boat, okay? And the storm hit. And you know what you're doing? You're waking Jesus up and you're asking him to bail water. (laughs) The God of heaven and earth doesn't bail water. He calms the storm. And so what if instead of asking him to bail water in your life, what if you asked him to calm the storm? He may or he may not, because he's also the sovereign Lord. He's also the one that might have a purpose in leading you into the storm so that you can learn more about him, so that you could come to have greater faith in him. And the disciples are wrestling through that very thing. Who then is this? And boom, they make land. And now we're going to look at a second story. Yeah, that was just one of two stories this morning. we got a lot to do. Let's get busy. So uh, Luke chapter 8, they make land. Look at verse 26. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes. He had not lived in a house but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, what is your name? And he said, legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank and into the lake and drowned. What? What just happened? Did it just get freaky? Oh my goodness, it just got freaky. And so now, I as your pastor get to talk to you about demonology and demonization. Yay! Oh goodness. All right, well let's start here. Angels are real. Angels are real. They are spiritual beings, which means they don't have a physical body. They are spirits, though they can appear to us physically when God lets them. But they are essentially spiritual beings created by God for God. They are ministering spirits that carry out His will. Except that there were some of them, some of the angels who rebelled and fell, and we call those demons. They are fallen, twisted, demented, evil fallen angels, okay? And they are led by a guy named Lucifer. Sometimes we call him Satan or the devil. Now, we give the devil a little bit too much props. He's just one demon. So everybody says, well, the devil's after me. Can I just tell you, you're probably not on Satan's radar. You're not a, I'm not a big enough fish. None of us are, right? Like he's limited, maybe a demon, but probably not Satan himself. But nonetheless, 
What they are is limited, finite, evil, real. And, and they cannot create anything. Angels and demons don't create. The only thing demons can do is steal, twist, distort, pervert, destroy. And we see that in this story. They didn't create the man, but they're in the process of destroying the man. They didn't create the pigs, but they destroyed the pigs. Now, the good news is that for demons, their ultimate end is their destruction. They will be destroyed. And you see that in this passage where they ask Jesus, please don't send us into the abyss. The abyss means hell. Hell will be created as an ultimate destruction, torture place for demons. It's created for the punishment of demons. And they don't want to go there. They know Jesus has the authority to send them there. They ask him not. They ask for a stall tactic. The pigs, they're just a stall tactic. And so they ask to go into the pigs. But one day, all demons will be destroyed. And that's when we will enter paradise. And I look forward to that time. But in the meantime, they are loose and they are roaming and they are real. And there is demonic influence. There's demonic activity. There is demonization. It's real. Now, what is it? It's not to be confused with mental disorders. Sometimes there's chemical imbalances and that's not the work of demons. Instead, uh, a demonization is uh, it's real demonic activity. Now, one of the things that can happen to us is uh, a way of historical arrogance or chronological snobbery in which we as moderns look back on every past generation and culture as if they're ignorant idiots and they can't tell the difference between a mental disorder and demonic activity. Did you notice in this passage, this guy is bound with shackles and chains and regularly breaks them? That's not a mental disorder. That's spiritual. There's something powerful and unique going on there. And so this guy is demonized. It can be very real stuff. And let that be a warning to us, folks. Do not mess with the spiritual realm unless it is with Jesus himself. He's your only safe option. Don't mess with spiritual stuff. You guys, you know the book, If You Give a Mouse a Cookie? Ah, eh, cute book, great. You know, you give a mouse a cookie, and then he's going to want some milk, and then he's going to want a straw, and then he's going to want a napkin, and then he's going to want a mirror. So you better be careful. Just don't give him a cookie at all, because it's just going to snowball on you. That's demonization. Don't mess with the demon. Don't mess. We have this morbid fascination with the demonic realm and the occult. And so we'll, we'll dabble a little bit. We'll be fine. No, it, it snowballs. They'll ask for more and more and more. You say, well, it's just a Ouija board. It's just a harmless little game, right? You're giving a mouse a cookie. You're starting the process right there. Well, it's just a psychic. What's the problem with getting a reading from a psychic? Listen, psychics are either fake, fraudulent, ripping you off, or they're real. Neither of those are good options. If they're real, they're interacting with demons. Don't give a mouse a cookie. If you, if you want a psychic reading, listen, you come to me, okay? Uh, I charge $10, and I give the same reading every time, and I'm always right. I will tell you, I can see that there is someone in your life that is trying to rip you off for $10, okay? <laughs> And I'm right every time, okay? 
Sometimes it's fake, but sometimes this stuff can be very, very real. Don't give a mouse a cookie. Don't dabble in that stuff. It'll go further and further and further. And demons are taking over greater and greater control. And you end up demonized like this guy. That's the ultimate end. And you don't want to be there. But listen, we're, we're still responsible the whole time. The whole way along. You can't just blame it on the demons. Uh-uh. They lie. We believe it. They deceive. We accept it. They tempt, we sin. We are complicit and we are responsible the whole time. And the only way out is repentance. It's got to be repentance. Now, some of you, as you are listening to this, you're thinking, wait a minute. Dude, 2018 in America, like we don't see, this is, I've never seen this stuff. This can't be real. You got to know this is widely accepted and acknowledged and seen in other parts of the world. But yeah, though there are some examples, it is very much less common in America today. Why is that? And perhaps it is because Satan is getting all that he wants by lying, cheating, cheating and deceiving. And he doesn't need to go towards open conflict, towards obvious demonization. You see, in America, the thief has gotten backdoor access to the whole house and he's robbing us blind. He doesn't need to go to the front door and have an open conflict. Now we know he's after us. So he's sneaking around. He's got all access. He's fine with that. You remember the 1995 movie, The Usual Suspects? Great flick. Had this wonderful line in it on this. It says, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world that he doesn't exist. Listen, if I'm a thief and I'm in your house and I'm robbing you, I don't want you to know about my existence. I don't want to tip you off. I want to keep you ignorant to my existence. And that's what I think is happening with Satan and his demons in this country. In other parts of the world, they're probably getting what they want by open conflict. But here in America, they're getting all they want by subtlety, by lulling us to sleep, by numbing us and robbing us blind. So that Christians from other parts of the world where there is that open spiritual conflict, they come here, and you know what happens? They pity us. As they say, it would be so difficult to walk with Jesus there, where you are just lulled to sleep by your culture. They pity us. Well, now I have talked about Satan and demons about as much as I like to. Don't really enjoy that too much. But no, there are two equal but opposite potential errors here. One is to overfocus on demons. Okay? So this is a friend of yours that everything's about demons. It's a demon under every rock and behind every tree, and it's demons, demons, demons. Okay? The other error is to be ignorant about demons. Those are both errors, and we've got to avoid them. Be careful, then, about putting too much focus on demons. The point of the passage is, who then is this? And that question ain't about Satan. It's about Jesus. We're supposed to come out of this knowing more about Jesus and looking at Jesus. And we could be guilty of this right now, right here. Some of you are going, you hear this story, and you go, wow, it just got interesting. Think about it. We for months have been talking about the fact that God took on flesh and walked among us and you think just now it got interesting? Because demons came into it. Oh, dang it. Dang it. Satan wins when we are ignorant of him. Satan also wins when we focus on him. 
instead of on Jesus. So let's get our focus back where it should be. You look at this story, and there is a legion of demons there, which means our Lord Jesus is outnumbered, but he ain't outmatched. He's outnumbered, but he's... Did you notice Jesus pulled off this... He cast out a legion of demons and didn't break a sweat. This was not more difficult for him. We talk about the conflict between good and evil. It doesn't seem like this was much of a challenge for Jesus. Demons are fallen angels. None of them are God. It's not like the other God. There's not like this open... Look, there's God in the flesh on the scene. It's not a fair fight. He doesn't even break a sweat. And I hope you didn't miss the fact that you have a legion of demons acknowledging the identity of Jesus Christ and his authority to command them and destroy them. It's an interesting thing. These two stories are linked. What you have in the boat is the disciples asking the question, who then is this? Nobody answered that. They get to shore, the demons answered for them. Who then is this? Jesus, son of the most high God. They get it. They know. You understand, demons know about God way more than you do. Way more than I do. They have crystal clear belief in God. The problem is, where is your faith? They don't have, they don't have love, they don't have trust, they don't have faith in God. That's where Jesus put the emphasis. Where is your faith? And so if you are one of those people, it's like, man, I believe in God. Yes, so do the demons, and they shudder. If you're one of those people, you have belief in God and knowledge about God, but you don't have faith, and you don't have love, and you don't have trust, I just have to tell you, you're like a demon. And that's really uncomfortable to say, so let's move on. Let's talk about this man that got healed. This is interesting. This guy that got healed, uh, he was a Gentile. Like across the lake, that meant that Jesus and his 12, they left Israel, they left Jewish territory, and they went into Gentile territory. In fact, there's a hint of that in our passage. Remember the herdsmen there, they were herding what? Pigs. Jews don't eat pigs. That's why I could never be Jewish. I'm a happy Gentile eating bacon, okay? Like, <laughs> could never do it, right? Jews don't eat pork. They are in Gentile territory, which means the Jewish Messiah just intentionally crossed a lake to connect with a Gentile. We're seeing part of Jesus' heart for the whole world here. But this is a guy, this guy, you would never expect this. He's outside. Jesus wouldn't go after him. Oh, evidently he did. He's a Gentile. He's demonized by a legion of demons. How messed up is this guy? And he's so messed up, he's abandoned by society. He has no real relationships in his life. He lives outside the city in tombs or the desert, the wilderness, depending on how you translate that. He's running around naked. When you put that whole picture together, you see that this guy is becoming less and less human. He's becoming more and more like an animal as he's been demonized. This is a messed up dude. They can't restrain him. He terrorizes the whole countryside. You know, this guy, it would just be better if he died. When he dies, we will be so relieved. I wish we, nobody wants him. Except Jesus. Jesus wants him. Jesus comes 
for him. And if Jesus wants this guy, maybe he wants you. Yeah, sometimes you're saying, I'm sure you're saying like, how could God ever want me? How could God ever love me? And if he, if he came for this guy, you're on the low shelf. Okay? Like, like, yeah, Jesus wants you too. Let me tell you how much. He crossed a lake for this guy. He went through a storm for this one guy, just one. You under, we haven't read this part of the story yet. We will in just a moment. But once Jesus saw this one guy come to faith, mission complete, back in the boat, let's go. He came just for him. And Jesus would do the exact same thing for each and every one of us. He would go through the storm of a cross just to get to you. It's the kind of Lord he is. But then we've got to respond to that. And, and the, the rest of the story I'll give to you here in a bit, it, it's, it's all about how you respond. Look, look at this, continuing in verse 34. Says, when the herdsmen saw what happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him, but Jesus sent him away saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. This is all about responding to Jesus. Everything responds to Jesus. The wind and the waves responded to Jesus. The disciples responded to Jesus. The man responded to Jesus. The demons responded to Jesus. And the crowd responded to Jesus. But maybe you caught a contrast. There was a great contrast between how the man responded and how the crowds responded. I mean, if you look at this guy, after Jesus heals him, it says he is clothed and in his right mind. I love that phrase. Like if you ever ask me, hey, Pastor Rick, how you doing? And I say, clothed and in my right mind. This is where I got that, okay? That's, that's coming right out of there. It's a great phrase. But Jesus totally healed and restored this guy. And listen, if this guy is not out of the reach of Jesus, neither are you. Jesus can heal and, respond, and, and, and heal you, bring redemption in your life. But it's all about how you respond. So what you need to do is know, grow, go. Have you ever heard that before? Maybe you have. But that's what happened in this guy's life. Look at it. He met Jesus. He came to know Jesus personally. Grow. We find him then sitting at the feet of Jesus. That's the posture of a disciple, learning, saying, Jesus, I just want to go where you are. I want to be with you. He's growing in his relationship with Jesus. And then go advance the kingdom of God. Jesus sends him back to his city to go tell him. Do you know biblical history right here? This is the first Gentile missionary sent to a Gentile city. That guy. Go and tell him. Now let's contrast that. Let's look at how the crowds respond. They come upon this guy, the scene, and here's the dude that's been menacing their society for years, sitting, clothed, and in his right mind. 
You would expect in that moment, they'd, oh my, mind blown. Holy cow, Jesus, you're hot. No. Jesus, go away. Jesus, please depart from us. Why? Because he killed their pigs. The cost, there was a cost. There was a cost of the herd of pigs in order to write the redemption story of this guy. And so these these villagers, I want to call them the village people, but then you you know, anyway, so let's not do that. (laughs) These villagers, they, um, they come across this and they're like, you know what? Jesus, I don't want you messing with my life and I don't want you messing with my livelihood. And we do that. Sometimes we hold back on tithing. We're not excited about the redemption stories that Jesus is writing. We just don't want Jesus to mess too much with our life or with our livelihood. And we say, Jesus, please go away. And I want you to let that sink in, right? So there he is, Jesus, God in the flesh, the Savior himself, and they're saying, go away. And people do that all the time, and Jesus honors that request. So I hope you feel that contrast there. Now, not everybody tells Jesus to go away. So here is this guy saying, Jesus, let me come with you. Listen, when Jesus totally transforms your life, you're just like, Jesus, I just want to be where you are. I want to be with your people. I want to tell everyone about you. Jesus, just let me have more of you in my life, please. Let me get to know you more. I want to have faith in you. That's how he responds. So what Jesus does is he sends this guy back to his home as a missionary. Now, maybe you didn't read that story and think of him as a missionary. Because you tend to think that missionaries are like those weird super Christians overseas. But you understand that when Jesus came from heaven to earth, he was thereby declaring that the entire earth is his mission field, including your home, including your family, including your neighborhood, including the place where you go to work. That is a mission field that Jesus has called you to. Bloom where you're planted. And so what he does, notice Jesus never goes into the city. He raises up a healed believer and sends that person. He smacks him on the butt and says, get in the game. Go. Go tell them about me and what I've done for you. Now think about this. Do you think this guy had a master's in theology and apologetics? Nope. But he knew who Jesus was. He had met the Lord. And Jesus had changed his life. And so Jesus gave him a very simple message. Just go tell them what I've done for you. And I'll bet you every one of you can do that in your neighborhood. People you know, just go tell them who Jesus is and what he's done for you. It's that simple. That is go advance the kingdom of God. Well, then let me land with these two questions in focus. Who is Jesus and where is your faith? That's what we're talking about today. It's the two biggest questions we need to wrestle with. Who is Jesus and is your faith in him? Or is your faith in the absence of storms, right? So who is Jesus and where is your faith? And I've got to tell you, I guarantee you this, everyone in this room is headed to one of two different destinations. Either you will tell Jesus, go away and leave me alone. I don't want you messing with my life and I don't want you messing with my money. Or you will be one that is 
in absolute awe of how Jesus has healed you. You just love him. You want to know him more. You want to be where he is. And you can't wait to tell everyone about him. You'll end up in one of those two spots. And so for that, let me pray. Father, I, um, I cannot believe that you would cross a lake for me. And you did. I mean, you sent Jesus through the hellish storm of the cross just to hunt me down. And I wasn't worth it. I don't get it. None of us are. Lord, we are broken. We are messy. Just like this guy in the story, we're messed up. And yet you love us and you pursue us and you hunt us down and you come for us. And Lord, we want to respond well to that. We want to be where you are. We want to know you more. We want to be with you and walk with you. And we want to tell everyone about you. Lead us there, Lord, I pray. In Christ's name, amen.